Well, good evening again, everybody. I'm excited uh, to get to bring the word today. Larry is out on a much-needed rest and vacation. He's getting to spend some time uh, with his family. My name's Doug, by the way. I probably should have started with that uh, for those of you that I haven't met. But Larry is, uh, like I said, getting a much-deserved weekend off today. Uh, So I'm excited. I'm excited to continue on in this series uh, in Joseph. In the 1968 and the 1972 Winter Olympics, a man by the name of Irv Blitzer won the double gold medal for the American bobsled team. The ultimate uh, measure of success for any athlete. Unfortunately, shortly after the 72 Olympics, it was discovered that Irv not only cheated in the 72, but also the 68 Winter Olympics. He was stripped of his gold medals, forced into a disgraced early retirement. Far from the, far from the vision that he had foreseen for himself. He wound up searching as a low-life bookie in the country of Jamaica. It was here that he rekindled his love for the sport. He was approached by a group of men and went on to coach the first Jamaican bobsled team to ever qualify for the Olympics. He was forgiven of his transgressions by the Olympic Committee, a story of redemption. I saw a few smiles out there. I'm just, I'm just quoting Cool Runnings, the, the 93 Disney film starring John Candy. But uh, it, it is true. It's, redemption is all around us. and Our world is made up of these stories. Benjamin Franklin, he dropped out of school when he was 10. George Washington and Thomas Jefferson both lost their fathers very early on in life. Albert Einstein did not speak until he was four years old. So I got a three and a half year old, he speaks plenty for everybody. I could not imagine a four year old that goes on to be like Albert Einstein still not speaking. And what we're gonna get to see today is another story of redemption, one of the original redemption stories. We're gonna see a story of sin, we're gonna see a story of forgiveness, And we're going to see a story of reconciliation all come to a head. To to summarize how we got here real quick, uh, just in case anybody's joining us uh, for the first time today, Joseph, he was the favorite of, of Jacob's sons. He was given special attention, special affection, special love, special gifts. And his brothers, to put it delicately, did not handle that situation well. They, they let sin rule in their lives, and they sought to kill Joseph. Eventually, one brother, he steps up and says, Wait, 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 we can't, we can't kill our brother. Why don't we just sell him into slavery, two birds, one stone? We can make some money and get rid of him. And in the past month, we've seen this, this real roller coaster, as Larry described it, this highs and lows of Joseph's life. And then last week, we saw Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh. He interprets a dream that that details the seven-year feast, the seven-year plenty of food throughout the land, followed by a seven-year famine. 
And, and because he interpreted that dream correctly for Pharaoh, the land of Egypt is now full of ac- excess. They were able to store up enough food. And now Joseph, he has been uh, granted the number two role in all of Egypt. The only one ahead of him is the Pharaoh himself. So go ahead and open up your Bibles today. We are going to be in Genesis chapter 42. That's where we're going to start. Uh, If you're reading on your phones, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV translation. Um, That'll be the easiest for you to follow along in. Uh, While you're flipping there, I do want to share, we're going to have to do things a little differently today. And it's not just because Larry is out of town. Uh, Typically what we do uh, is take a a small portion of text, a chapter, even maybe smaller, and we break it down very methodically, a verse or two at a time. And the reason we do that is because we truly want this to be about God's Word, not not mine, not Larry's. And, And when you pick a verse here, a verse there... It, it, can be, it can become a lot easier to make God's Word fit our thoughts. And that's not what we want to do. Um, today, I'm going to do my very, very best to be faithful to the text. This story, this specific reunion here, covers four chapters. It's 42 through 45. And uh, I know we got a lot of little kids running around, and we'll have a lot of angry moms if I go verse by verse. It'll, it'll be here for a long time. So what, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at, look at this really through two sections. We're, we're going to start at the beginning through the eyes of the offenders, through the eyes of the brothers. And then I'm going to do some summarizing for us. And then we're going to jump to chapter 45, and we're going to see the reveal. We're going to see forgiveness through the eyes of Joseph. Let's start in Genesis 42, starting in verse 1. It says, When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? He said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. Jacob is saying, look boys, true dad fashion, we are not going to solve our problems standing around kicking dust. Go, go to Egypt, buy us some food. Verse 3, so 10 of Jacob's, or excuse me, 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And what we see here is the the first example that Joseph's brothers have not yet had a heart change. They have not had an attitude adjustment, so to speak. Benjamin, he is the youngest of the brothers. He is also Joseph's only full-blooded brother. The other ten are Joseph's half-brothers from a different mom. And, and Jacob is completely aware of his son's angry hearts. He believes that he lost his son Joseph. He believes he is long dead, close to two decades ago now. And he is not willing to have something happen to Benjamin as well. So he only, he only sends the ten. Now read with me six through nine. Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. 
Where do you come from, he said. They said from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams that he dreamed of them, and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Whew! Wouldn't you have liked to have been there for that interaction? Maybe not, actually. Awkward moments make me feel uncomfortable. So I, I don't even know if I would want to be there for that. But, but think back to that day 20 years ago now. They, they accused Joseph of not only being a dreamer, but of being a spy of their father who had sent them to check up on him. That day so long ago, they ate their lunch They conversed amongst each other while Joseph was in a pit pleading for mercy. You got to think in our flesh, I know Joseph, he was overwhelmed with emotions. I think I might have been grinning ear to ear at the circumstances in front of me if I'm Joseph, right? I'd be thinking, well, 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 boys, you called me a dreamer. Look who's bowing down now. How would you like to be the brothers? They, they make this trip. I picture them just waiting in line and it's finally their turn to buy some food. And, and suddenly, the number two man in all of Egypt is calling them spies. And, and so what we see next as this story progresses is, is Joseph, he decides to put his brothers into prison. He puts them into prison for three days. And what he's doing during that time is he's really pausing, he's reflecting, he's he's trying to figure out what's the best way to handle this situation. What's what's our game plan here? And what he decides on is he's going to keep one of his brothers in jail. He's going to keep one and he's going to test the others. He's going to say, the rest of you may go home, but in order to prove your innocence, in order to prove that you are not spies... You have to bring your youngest brother back with you. And for the first time here, even just amongst each other, we see the beginnings of a confession of their sins. Jump down to verse 21. This is, this is Joseph's brothers. They're speaking a language they do not realize Joseph can understand. They said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen? So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Here's my first major point of the day, guys. If you're going to write anything down, I recommend writing this down. We cannot wait for crisis to confess. We cannot wait for crisis to confess. And guys, confession is hard. It it is worrisome. It can be embarrassing. Uh, But it is biblical. It is biblical. And you're going to hear us as a church here at Central, we're going to talk a lot about the, the power of confession amongst other believers. And, and in this story, we really see sin and crisis. They have a, a one-to-one correlation. Joseph's brothers sinned, it came back around, and it bit him in the butts. And now a lot of times that, that very well be, may be how it is. Um, that's, that's not always the case. That's not always the case. But I will say anxieties, 
from, from carrying the sins of addiction, they can cripple a person into sickness. Holding anger against someone, being prideful, living multiple lives, coming, coming to church on Sunday, and then, and then being somebody else throughout the week that wears down our flesh. And guys, we, we are broken and we are sinful. But, but I find encouragement. You don't have to flip there, but I would encourage you guys to write this down. It's 1 Corinthians 10.13. It's a verse I often come back to. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not uncommon to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. As through the, the sanctification process, that's a, that's a big fancy word. It really just means growing to be more like Jesus. Through that process, with the strength of the Holy Spirit, we no longer have to succumb to sin. Yes, it is in our nature, but we have the ability to say no. That being said, it is not meant to be something we tackle on our own. Nor is it going to be easy. Part of, part of being a, a brother and sister in Christ, part of being a part of Central Bible Church is walking through our struggles with other believers. And there is power in speaking our sins into the light and releasing them to God. There is power in confessing our sins to God, the sins that He already knows we are dealing with. We cannot wait for crisis to confess. As the story progresses here, what we see unfold is, is the series of events that, that Joseph planned out. Joseph uh, is testing his brothers through the next two, two chapters, chapters 43 and 44. And I'm going to summarize those rather quickly for us here. But, but really what we're seeing is Joseph's wanting to know, are these men the same godless, selfish, violent brothers, violent men that I knew? Are they the same people or have they changed? And so he goes on and he sends, he sends the men home, minus one brother. Uh, they go on their way, but what they don't realize is Joseph has put the silver that they paid for the grain for, with back into their bags. He has snuck it back into their sacks. And imagine they get home and, and they think, oh my goodness. If, if this guy thought we were spies then, wait till he finds out we didn't pay for all this grain. So they, they go to their father Jacob and, and they explain to him this whole situation on why they're a man short, why they have all this silver still, what they have to do. And, and Jacob, he is very, very reluctant. He is not willing to send them back. He's not willing to send Benjamin with them. Now remember, this is, this is a seven-year famine. And what we see through Scripture is that they had to go back. Presumably they ran out of food. They had to go back and buy more grain. So, so even though Jacob is very, very reluctant, uh, the brother Judah, he steps up and says, I will be responsible for Benjamin. I will take care of him. If something happens to him, it is my fault. You can blame me. I am responsible for him. So what we see is, is Jacob reluctantly agrees to let all of his sons go. He sends, them, uh, sends with them double the money. 
in, in hopes that there would be an understanding that there was an oversight. He, he, he details gifts to bring of balm and honey and gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, almonds, and, and he sends them on their way. And they have no idea what's in store for them. And as, as they come down into the town, Joseph sees them and he sees his brother Benjamin. And he is, he is overwhelmed at the sight of his younger brother. He says he, he, he weeps loudly. So he runs to him and he says, guys, I understand. I understand that there, was, there must have been an oversight. I don't know how that silver got back into your bags, but I know you didn't steal it on purpose. He does not reveal himself yet, but he invites them into his home and he, and he throws them a feast. He throws them a feast. They, they share his house. When they're ready to return home, he loads them up with all the grain that they can carry, sends them on their way, but he's not done testing them yet. He puts a silver cup just in the bag of Benjamin. Just in the bag of Benjamin. And as the men leave the city, he lets them go for a little while, a little while and then he sends his people after them. His people track them down and say, how could you have done such wickedness? How could you have stolen from the man who just invited you into your home? And of course, the brothers, they have, they have no idea what's going on. They, 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 didn't, they didn't think that they stole anything. They're, how could this be happening again? We, we have no intentions of stealing from this man. And they're, they're pleading their innocence. And they line them up one at a time, oldest to youngest, and they check their bags. And as they go from oldest to youngest, you know, you think probably the air starts real tense and then you start feeling a little better, a little better, a little better as each bag comes up empty. And then they get to Benjamin's bag and they find the silver cup in it. So that's, that's what we see through uh, 43 and the first half of chapter 44. So we're getting ready to, to pick it back up into scripture now, but I kind of want to set the stage here for where, where we're at. They have been brought back into Egypt. They are in front of Joseph. They are trying to figure out how we can prove our innocence. They are at his feet saying, what are you going to do to us? And this is Joseph's response. This is verse, chapter 44, verse 17. He said, far be it from me that I should do so. Meaning punish all of them. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Jump down to verse 30. This is the brother Judah's response. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Joseph says, I'm not going to punish all of you. I'm just going to keep the youngest. I'm just going to keep Benjamin. And, and we see Judah, now he has that heart change. Now he has that, that, that shift 
in, in his life. And he, he steps up to the plate and he is willing to sacrifice himself instead. Understand, he has gone from selling his brother into slavery to now willing to say, I will become your slave. Let my brother be free. And through through this through this conversation, through this dialogue, through this just this overwhelming of emotion, we finally get to see Joseph reveal himself in the next chapter down. Chapter forty five, verse one. Says then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Verse 5, do not be distressed. Or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph is so moved that he's finally willing to say, It is me, your brother, that you have been dealing with all this time. But but verse five, verse five is the verse that jumps off the page to me. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because God sent me before you. He is releasing them from their sin against him. He's saying he is okay. He is forgiving them because God used the terrible situation that he went through for such, such good. He forgives because of God's rich love and mercy. My second main thought for the day We must forgive because we are forgiven. The Bible tells us to forgive and let go of things of our past because our past has been let go of. Guys, I'm sure there are people here, there are people that that I was able to share with this morning, there are people that might be listening online that are hurting, that have been hurt. It is real, and I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, to downplay the easiness of forgiveness. As I get, it is hard. It is not something that is going to happen overnight. It is not something that can happen in a blink of an eye. It is not something that can happen in our own strength. So I, I want to stop for a quick moment here, and I want to encompass just three, three quick points on forgiveness and what that can practically look like for us. Number one, forgiveness is returning to God the right to take care of justice. We can no longer hold onto the punishment we think that the person deserves. From the world's perspective, Joseph would have had every right to treat his brothers terribly. He could have slandered them. He could have thrown them into prison. He very well could have sentenced them to death. That that is not the biblical answer that we see. We must trust in Him to handle the situation. 
Number two, forgiveness is not based on the offender's heart, but ours. As people will continue to hurt us sometimes. And it's easy to stay stuck. It is easy to stay angry. And a lot of times, truthfully, we, we might not ever get the reconciliation moment that, that Joseph and his brothers had. You know, Joseph's brothers realized they were in the wrong. They, they changed and said Joseph was able to forgive them. Sometimes in our life, the people that hurt us don't change. We can pray that they will. We obviously do. But the reality of the situation is we might not get that reconciliation moment, but that doesn't change the matter because forgiveness is about our hearts, not theirs. And finally, forgiveness does not mean the memories are gone. And I know that that sounds a little cliche, but it's, it's true. It is normal for memories of past offenses to pop up, to be triggered in the future. And, and when, when those thoughts occur, I truly believe it's what we do with them that that counts. Can, can we find ourselves, instead of focus, focusing on that past offense and staying angry, can we learn to say, thank you, God, for this reminder of how important forgiveness is? Because, guys, forgiveness is the foundation of our faith. As, as we read the story not just today, but, but the entire story of, of Joseph and his life and his brothers' lives, it is really easy to say, man, those brothers, they are awful, awful dudes. And they are. They are. They're, they're jerks. They're not good people. But the unfortunate reality of the situation is our sin offends God just the same way Joseph's brother's sin did. When, when we try and find who we are in this, this big narrative, more times than not, guys, we are the brothers in this story. Yet God forgives. We are called to forgive because we have, forgive, we have been forgiven. Guys, God forgives the broken. He forgives the wicked. He forgives the angry. He forgives the betrayer. There is nothing in your lives, I guarantee it, that is too big for God to forgive. There is nothing too big for God to forgive. And if, if you're, you're newer today, or maybe you've heard that before, but you don't quite understand what I mean, I want to take just a moment to speak to you. Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. It says we are all broken. And our sins, they, they ultimately led Jesus to die on a cross. He did so for us. He paid the price for us because He loves us. And we cannot earn our own salvation. It is not about coming here on Sunday evenings. It's not about serving. It's not about giving. It's not about dotting I's and crossing T's and stacking good deed on top of good deed on top of good deed because I promise you it will never be enough to measure up to our good and perfect Father. It won't be. But it doesn't have to be because of Jesus' atoning work on the cross. It's when a person believes... In, in Jesus' perfect life, His death, 
His resurrection. They acknowledge that they are broken and they need Him. They are given that, that gift, that free gift of eternal salvation with our Father. And if this is something that anyone in this room hasn't, hasn't done today, if you don't know for certain that, that you have said that prayer, that you have made that commitment, that you have said that understanding, I, I really, really hope today could be the day. That, that, that would make, that would make my, my week for sure. If, if, if you're still uncertain, guys, please come talk to me. Talk to Quinn. We would love to pray with you. We would love to uh, go over anything that, that might still be confusing or holding you back. But ultimately, that's not something that, that I can pray over you. That is something that you have to choose for yourself. For those of you in the room who I know is probably the majority uh, who have taken that step of faith, I, in closing, wanted to, to leave you with this. It's a final thought that I read earlier this week. It says, we must never take lightly the salvation we have. Although it is free, it is costly, for it cost God the ultimate. We must therefore always be grateful for what he has done. We must love him in return and emulate his giving and forgiving character. As we must forgive because we have been forgiven. Amen? Let's pray.